scriptures. There it goes. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So we've been talking about, and we've been introducing holiness for quite some time. And uh, it's a vast subject, really is. Um, but we also, I, I have continually gotten sidetracked just with other situations that come up. But uh, as I was studying last night, again, going over my notes and, and evaluating where we were and what we needed to accomplish to get moved on to other lessons in this series, um, I was reminded yet again of how powerful holiness it really is in our lives. And uh, one of the things that I really want to emphasize is, is how holiness changes us on a regular basis. And uh, holiness is just to, the, the word holiness, to go all the way back to one of our beginning lessons, it simply means to be set apart. So God has taking, taken us, he chose us, and he pulled us out of the world, and he set us apart for his use, for his glory, and for his, his power to abide in. And I'm thankful for that. Um, but there are some actions that we must take on our side. And uh, we, we've got to give ourselves wholly to him. Not H-O-L-Y to him, but W-H-O-L-L-Y. Wholly, completely to him. Um, that's that right there in and of itself is is paramount to God being able to use us in a mighty way. Good morning. How are you? You're fine. Um, and so we've talked about. I'm going to go through this scripture here this morning. Follow peace with all men, Hebrews 12 and 14. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, holiness is essential to salvation. We've talked about that portion of things. We've talked about, in fact, in depth, I've, I've gone back into the plan of salvation over the last several weeks. And here we are. Um, I'm, I'm going to skip over all those notes again because I, I, I tend to go and get sidetracked teaching salvation again, um, although that needs to be taught regularly. And uh, I want to do my best because I don't want, I don't want somebody to ever say, what is the Holy Ghost? What, how, how does that apply to my life? And uh, there, some, somewhere in every service, we're going to refer to the Holy Ghost, its power, and its effects on our life. Um, every service, we should be reminded of the power of God. And uh, we're going to delve into that later on in the service. And uh, so... But the new birth experience that we've, we've taught on extensively over and over again um, causes a conflict to arise between the flesh, which is our old sinful nature, and the new nature, which is the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. All right? Automatically, when I get filled with the Holy Ghost, a war begins to wage on the inside of me. My flesh... The things that I've always enjoyed and the things of God come to a head. And it's up to me which one I allow to rule in my life. And uh, 
you know, I, every time I think of this, I think of uh, the old Indian story where the, the chief was, was, was mentoring some of his braves, and he said, you know, my son, you've got to make sure that, that the good dog wins in your life. And he said, the young man said, what do you mean, chief? And the chief said, well, in every man is warring two dogs, a good dog and a bad dog. Hello. <laughs> um, that was the bad dog showing up. Um, <clears throat> anyway, but the good dog and the bad dog. And the young man says, well, chief, how do I ensure that the, the right one wins? And he says, pretty simple, whichever one you feed the most is the one that's going to win. And it's a fact. That's why prayer and fasting is so important in our life. And I, I, Here I go. I'm going to get sidetracked. But just think about it. Um, in fact, I'm still pretty perturbed that one of the scriptures that, that many of translations have removed from the word of God is one that Jesus emphatically stated this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. They said, well, that, that, that's not necessary. It doesn't have to be in the scripture. <laughs> that's my thoughts as well. I, I did ask my father-in-law and I asked a couple other men. I was like, some of these principles are going to be missed if only people are reading the newest Bibles. And I will say... Be careful what Bibles you use as far as after that conversation, Brother Tuffy, I began to, uh, he brought it to my attention. It's actually uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, 21 is literally missing. It goes from verse 20 to verse 22. It literally has removed verse 21. Yeah, and, and this is one of the reasons why I, I really encourage, if you're going to do in-depth Bible study, New King James Version is not one of those that have done that. The King James Version has not done that. And then there's another Bible version called the Geneva Bible, which is actually what the, the King James Version was based off of. And so the Geneva Bible isn't still being updated to incorporate our newer languages, but all of these newer Bibles are. So every day, literally, if you're using version, some of those Bible versions, especially English Standard Version, New International Version, um, all of these uh, easy-to-read version, um, all of these different Bibles, and I, I, I feel like this is important for us to understand because when you start reading the Bible, and you're like, hey, I thought this scripture was in there somewhere. Well, it may have been at one point in time. But somebody thinks that it's okay to start removing scriptures that they think are redundant or they think are unnecessary or they think just doesn't exist in the original. And most of them actually don't um, exist in the original. I was going to go look at that text thread that I had, but I've, I text him a lot. So it is blasphemous. Um, it says, don't add to, don't take away. And that's another thing. Uh, Brother Jason was asking me a couple of weeks ago when we were prepping for our kids' church service. He, he said, Pastor, isn't it 
isn't it against scripture to go in there and remove things from the word of God? I said, oh, I, absolutely. I said, and those that are doing it, they're going to be cursed. God will, God will deal with them. And just, just be aware. Um, because at this point, where do we stop? I don't like this. Well, tomorrow I don't like that. So how am I supposed to know what is accurate and what's not accurate? And so it, it's imperative that we, we do our, our due diligence. And that, that one scripture, I knew there were other scriptures in the Bible that have been removed. I knew that. But that one scripture, when Jesus emphatically stated, hey, if you want to help deliver somebody, it's going to be because you as an individual have prayed and fasted. That's how you build your faith. There's three ways that you build your faith. Three components to faith building. Maybe I should say it that way. Three components to faith building. And then we'll get back into holiness. But first one is, first one is preaching. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All right? So preaching is the first uh, way. In fact, those who are saved are saved because they heard a preacher. Does that make sense? They heard somebody preaching the gospel. And so, first off, you're going to hear the word of God, which kind of ties into number three, but we'll get there in just a minute. First off, hearing the word of God builds my faith. Praying builds my faith. And uh, let, me, let me just, reading the word of God builds my faith. Hearing the word of God builds my faith. And prayer. Jude, I think it's verse 22, 23, somewhere in there. Uh, there's only one chapter in Jude. But Jude ch chapter 1, verse 22, verse 23 says, uh, Praying in the Holy Ghost is what builds our faith. Building up your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost is what the scripture says. And the other piece is fasting. Why, why would fasting cause my faith to grow? Yeah, you, you're, you're, you're sacrificing yourself, you're, you're, you're sacrificially your flesh, that's right, that's right, that's it, and how do we feed the spirit, that's why fasting and prayer can't be done one without the other, that's right, so if I'm, if I'm fasting, and, and I, I want to I drive this home, if you're going to be fasting, That's exactly right. And I've said that over and over. Even if you're just giving something up, well, you're just, you're just giving that up for the day because, I mean, you're not, you're not feeding the spiritual man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness! Yep. <laughs> That's funny. Well, making sure that we we if we are going to discipline the flesh, if we are going to bring under our body, as the apostle Paul said, we have to feed the spiritual man. 
And so, yes, I'm denying my flesh, but I also have to build up the spiritual man. That's where it becomes very important that as we begin to walk in our, in our relationship with God, that there are times, in fact, Jesus spoke of the, the, the house that was clean and, and it was purged and it, it was empty, right? The house was clean. There's nothing wrong with the house. The house was purified. It was ready to go for somebody to live in, but nobody was there. Nobody was home. In fact, to clean the house, it drove out spirits. They had to drive out the spirits, and Jesus is talking about, well, that spirit that was driven out from that home went out into desert places, roaming around, and he comes back to the house, and he found it swept and garnished, but yet it was empty. He said, here, I have an opportunity. And he goes back, and he finds seven more worse than himself. And he says, hey, come on over to my old house. It's empty. It's inviting us to come back. What am I saying? What I'm saying is if we don't stay holy and if we don't stay filled with the Spirit, then we're leaving an open invitation to those things that we used to entertain on a regular basis. Yeah, was that you that posted that yesterday? I thought I saw. I thought I that sounded familiar. He'll provide the boat. Yeah, that was uh, Billy Graham. He said he'll he'll provide the boat, and you'll have all the means necessary to pay the way. If you want to sin, the devil will make a way. In fact. I will dare say the enemy is lurking behind every dark corner in your life trying to see if you are susceptible to his temptation again. We've got to stop talking in this vein because this is what I'm going to talk about during service today. <clears throat> and what I, what I really wanted to get out there is, hey, we need to be understanding of the fact that as soon as we were filled with the Holy Ghost, a war began to wage. And I will say this, Paul said it over and over. Peter dealt with it. Um, I, think, I think it was even John dealt with it. Jesus dealt with it over and over in the New Testament uh, throughout all of the epistles. Now, you understand the epistles. These are the letters to the churches. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this and I'm going to move on, but it, it's ironic to me that Two-thirds of the New Testament are all letters to churches. And one book out of the whole entire New Testament is written about how to be saved. Think about it. We have the book of the Acts of the Apostles where we are introduced to salvation. And we are introduced to the process in which we need to follow to obtain that salvation. But starting with Romans all the way through Jude, we have letter after letter after letter telling us how to stay on that same path, how we can stay saved. So anyway, I, I, I've got to digress. You've got to understand this whole philosophy, and, and I'm going to say it often, and I'm going to say it loud and proud, this whole philosophy of being once saved and you're always going to be saved is a heresy. 
And it is straight out of the belly of hell. It is. It gives people false hope. In fact, I, I, know, of, I, I know of a man that um, he, uh, my father-in-law sat at lunch with one, and he told my father-in-law, he said, look, he, he was a, a pastor of a certain uh, dominating denomination, and the man looked at him, he said, look, if I get it from this table and I go get plastered at the bar, and I end up taking a, a woman home with me, and I, I end up in adultery tonight, and I get in my car, and I get in a wreck, and I die, he said, I'm going straight to heaven. But that's what he told him. And, and I will say, I've, I've talked to other folks. Ministers is what they claim to be. There is a denomination that is well known for this teaching. But I want you to understand, it's not in the Bible. The Apostle Paul over and over and over and over and over talked about how he had to bring under his body. He had to, and when I say bring under his body, he, said, he means I'm bringing it into subjection to the Spirit. I'm not, I'm not just going through, I'm not, in fact, he said it this way, I'm not as one who, who beateth the air. I'm not a shadow boxer. He said, I know when I, when I swing, my, my punches are going to land on the enemy somewhere. He said, I'm not just going through the motions of living for God. So that when he was ready to pass away, he wrote to Timothy, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. That was a testimony. He said, I've kept the faith. But he kept it through holiness. Holiness is that, that indwelling of God's spirit that changes us into who he wants and needs us to be. And I will say this, it makes us more like him. Because the one descriptive term that we have to describe him is holy. He is set apart. There is nobody like him. Nowhere in this world is there anybody that compares to Jesus. Not one. In fact, I did this one time. I don't know how many of you were in the service when I did this. I've done it a couple of times now. Elder Burgess um, from Colorado Springs did this in Olathe, and he, he began to ask the church, and I, and I did it here. I said, you know, I got a question. I'm, I, let's play the opposite game here today, all right? So if I say dark, you say, all right? If I say night, you say, all right? And if, you, if I say tall, you say, and I say big, you say, and I say devil, and you say, but is he really? Do you know what the devil is? He's a fallen angel. He's not a fallen deity. God said, I am the Lord. He said, I changed not. That's not the scripture I was thinking about. But he said, I alone span the heavens and the earth. He said that I am the only one. There, beside him, there is none. There is no equal to God. So let me ask you something. 
If you think about the enemy and then you think about the power of God that resides inside of you, there's no comparison, my friend. How in the world can the enemy have power over you if you have the almighty creator living inside of you? It's impossible. The only way this can happen is if you invite that enemy to come and do those things to you and allow him to rule in your life. It's only, that's the only way. That's where holiness, seeking after God, becoming more like him, the flesh must continually be crucified in order that we may live to the spirit or in obedience and submission to that spirit. In our struggle to walk with God, we are fighting a battle for our souls. It's our souls we're fighting for. I will submit to you that the devil does not want any of you to be holy. That's why there's such a huge movement in Christianity today to get away from holiness. That's why I detest these new movies that are coming out. I've already talked about it. I'm not getting into that whole rabbit hole again today. But all these movies depicting Christianity as let's, let's embrace everybody and let's, let's let them come on in and, and, and not, in, not including the fact that they, yeah, they need to come as they are. I want them to come as they are. I don't care what they look like when they walk through that back door. As long as they walk through that back door, there's hope for them. But if they stay that way the rest of their life after they came through that back door, then nothing has happened in their life. We serve a God who changes things. He takes things that are bad and makes them good. He takes things that are evil and makes them good. He takes things that are nasty looking and he cleans them up and makes them beautiful. He said, I'm going to give you beauty for what? Ashes. The joy of, uh, the oil of joy for mourning. That's what the Holy Ghost does for us. We find righteousness peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what the kingdom of God is made up of. Those that are abiding in joy, righteousness, and peace. And we find that ultimately through his holiness. This battle that I'm talking about is a battle for holiness, and we must win it in order for us to be saved. It's a battle. It's the work of the Spirit to crucify the old man and transform our lives. And I will submit to you this morning, this is not a one-time thing. This is an ongoing process. You're going to continually change in your walk with God. You're going to continually change as an individual in the kingdom of God until we hear the trumpet sound or until we lay in a grave somewhere. Our longing and our desire is to be holy. That's how we should be, at least. If we long to be like him, we're literally saying, I want to be holy. Sanctification is an ongoing process. 
It's not just one-time experience. We said that a few minutes ago. But I want you to understand resistance comes from our carnal mind. And, and this is why I stopped going down that vein because I knew I was coming to it in a few minutes. This battle that we are waging, that is waging against us, is a constant battle. And it is waging between these two ears right here in this, in this head of mine. It's a constant battle. If you, if, if, if you give in to the things that the enemy wants to put into our lives, it has to begin with a decision. Yes, he can tempt you, but he cannot force you to do anything. You have to make that decision. I have to make that decision. Amen. Romans chapter 8 and verse 7 tells me that because the carnal uh, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You want to know what is the enemy of God? It is a mind that is not subject to God. Because you are after your own things. In fact, I, I was doing some reading this morning as I was pre preparing for the sermon, and, and as I, I, was, I was reading, it came across, in, and I began to realize, you know, this, this, this battle that we wage in our mind has to be won in our mind. You can't put it on somebody else. You can't blame it on somebody else. I submit to you today that wherever you come from doesn't have to determine your destiny. No matter what your background is, it doesn't have to determine who you are today. Because we have one that's more powerful than that. He can break what is known as generational curses. He can. You can be the one that breaks that generational curse. And your kids don't have to deal with that. You can do it. Personal holiness is voluntary. A preacher can preach it till he's blue in the face. But until you want to live this life that the preacher's preaching about or teaching about, then it does you no good until you apply it to your life. I can promise you this. This preacher's not going to show up at your house and say, hey, bless God, you need to change your ways. No, I'm not doing that. Because I realized something. I had to get it for myself. The Apostle Peter said it better than I think I could ever say it. He said, you need to save yourselves from this untoward generation. He said, he, he, he wasn't saying, hey, you look to us apostles, we're going to save you from this. No, he, he, the only one that can save us already died on an old rugged cross and came out of the grave on the third day. He's the only one that we need to be looking to. No apostle, no preacher. He is the one that we should be looking for. Now, we should be listening for the guidance, the doctrines, the teachings of the apostles. In fact, the apostle Paul said it this way. He said, if you, if you don't adhere to the teaching of the apostles, then you're accursed if you're teaching something different than what the apostles taught. He said, I don't even care if it was an angel that came down from heaven and says that what the apostles said isn't right. He said, let me tell you something. That is not an angel from heaven. No matter how he depicts himself. 
kind of puts into the place this whole angel of angel Moroni. Uh, he gave Joseph the glasses to be able to read and understand the Book of Mormon. It's it's a whole false doctrine, and they are they are pardon my hillbilly language here, but they are gun ho about what they believe in. Let me ask you, how many apostolics are walking around like they are? Knocking on doors. I don't know a whole lot. But what would happen if we as apostolics got the, the gumption that those folks had? And we really believed what God said. Hey, I've called you to go out and teach and preach in my name, repentance, and see people come to an altar of repentance and baptize them in my name. If we really believed what Jesus told us in Matthew 28, verse 19, in Mark chapter 16, in, in the, the end of Luke chapter 24, you begin to read all of these. Jesus is saying, look, guys, I don't want you just to get this experience for yourself. He said, I'm giving, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, I'm giving you power after you receive the Holy Ghost to go out and be witnesses to what I've done in your life. Does that mean we have to go knock doors every day of our life? No, it does not mean that we have to go knock doors every day of our life. Let me tell you something. Something that's better and more effective than knocking doors, in, in, in it has its place, okay? We'll have a time where we go knock doors and invite people to church because people don't come to church sometimes because they just don't know what time to be there. They don't know that it exists. They don't know a whole litany of things. But let me tell you, the best way that you can be a witness is what I like to call lifestyle evangelism. People are watching you. They're watching your language. <laughs> They're watching your reactions. They're watching what you do after on your spare time. They're watching you. And if they know you used to be something else and that you don't do those things anymore, they're watching that and they notice that. And some of them are going to eventually come and ask questions. What happened to you? I know you're not the same as you used to be. That, my friend, that kind of testimony is more beneficial than just going and knocking on a door and saying, hey, I want you to come to church with me. Now I'm going to say again, door knocking has its place. Outreach has its place. I spent two hours up here last night recording a video so we can get it out on social media so that we can invite folks to our family and friends day um, because I'm, I'm excited about that day um, and I'm hoping to get it posted by tomorrow and we're going to have flyers and all that stuff because I believe in advertising. If you don't advertise, people won't know. But most of all, when they get here, what are they going to encounter? That's the big question. Are they going to encounter what you encountered, the love of God? Are they going to encounter what you encountered, the mercy of God? Are they going to be able to partake of the grace of God when they come into the doors? Amen. I want to be what God needs me to be. It's only through our submission to his spirit and obedience to the word of God that we can change our nature. The carnal mind refuses to submit to the law of God 
Therefore, you must be, everybody say you must be, transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is essential that we are separate from the world. Doesn't make us better than the world, but we should be separate from the world. There should be a distinction somewhere in our life that shows that we're not who we used to be. I'm not of this world. In fact, I'm just a pilgrim passing through. I can't wait to see my Savior face to face. I'm ready to go home. I'm in a I'm in a strange land right now. He told us there's a he prepared a place for us. That's exactly right. And he said if it wasn't so, I wouldn't have even said it to you. That's what I love about God. He's not one who just says stuff to make us feel good. Can I be honest with you? I don't like hanging around people that just say stuff to make me feel good. I got to be nice, but I, I talked to a realtor yesterday. I would ask questions, and he would try to foresee what I was trying to get across or to understand, and so he would just say what I, he thought I wanted to hear. I'm like, man, if you didn't want to talk to me, just tell me, hey, I don't have time right now to talk, so uh, maybe you can call me back later or something. But I don't like talking to folks who want to make me feel good about what I'm looking for. I want you to be honest with me. I want you to be honest with me, especially when it comes down to my soul. Don't mince words, my friend. I want to know if I'm right, and if I'm wrong, I want to know how to fix it. I hope I'm not the only one in this room that feels that way today. I want to be right. I want to be holy. I want to be holy. I tell you, even this morning, as I was thinking about and praying about this service, I, I, I began thinking of the scripture where, I know it's not the, entire, the entirety of this verse of scripture, but the Apostle Paul starts it off. He said, oh, that I may know him, that I may know him. If I know him, Veronica, if I really know him intimately, like I long to, it's not going to be a problem to live a holy life because I want to be like him. You think about all of these basketball stars and all of these movie stars and every time something else new comes out, uh, somebody's really popular and they have a certain style of, way, of the way they do things. In fact, when when uh, people, uh, when, when the Chiefs won, I know for the first time in several years, when Mahomes was the quarterback, and the next thing I noticed was people started cutting their hair like Mahomes. People started buying sunglasses like Mahomes. People started wearing little armbands like Mahomes does when he's playing the game. Why? Because they're looking up to him. They want to be like him. He accomplished something that they thought was pretty awesome. And it happened again this past year when they won again. The parade... Yeah, I know. And there was a lot of people following their lead as, on that as well. Maybe I shouldn't be 
so critical. But I, I want to, I, I don't understand, and my wife pointed this out to me the other day, so she gets the credit for this one. I didn't even think about it. But you know this whole Bud Light thing where they're all uh, boycotting Bud Light because of this whole transgender ordeal? Why, why does that even matter, right? Because these folks, the folks that are boycotting this, when they get drunk, they don't care who they're sleeping with. I, I, I get it, but sin, alcohol is sin, which is advertising more sin. So you're going to boycott one type of sin and not the other? I don't understand. You with me today? They're doing it under the guise of righteousness. You, you with me this morning? It, sin is sin. One elder says it this way. He said it's the same old lady, just a different dress. Transgenderism, if you're, if you're living that lifestyle, my friend, you're not going to make it to heaven when the trumpet sounds. Also, if you're an alcoholic and you're drunk all the time, you're not going to make it to heaven either. You must be sober. That's a qualification of any Christian, sober-minded. That's what the Bible teaches us. Amen. Not just preachers, <laughs> but Christians. Amen. Anymore today, it seems that Christians are saying it's okay to be not sober-minded. Well, even the ones that stand up against the pride flag you'll still see even the preacher out there drinking on, on, on a given weekend. All I'm trying to, yeah. What? Yeah, now if, if they were boycotting Bud Light and they were putting Dr. Pepper in their refrigerators... Or they were putting water in their refrigerators or something else. I got. It. I, I'm going to tell you a different story this morning. But every video that I saw of people boycotting, they were going from Bud Light. One guy was doing Coors. One other guy was doing other Bush. Another guy. They were just taking one evil and and replacing it with another. So. It, it is what it is. And all I'm trying to lay out for us today is sin is sin. Are we going to take a sin against sin in our life? Or are we going to say, okay, well, this can substitute. It may be a lesser evil. But my question is, is it still sin? You with me today? That's right. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. The question is, I know what other people don't want to do or would rather not do. My question is, those of us in this room today, what would you rather do? Consider. Sin, we hate COVID. I hate COVID. It changed my daughter's whole taste palette. Um, it took away my smell for I don't know how long. Um, it, it ransacked our society and destroyed our economy. There's a whole litany of reasons why we, we don't like COVID. Let me tell you something. There's something worse out there than COVID, and it's been a lot, around a lot longer than COVID-19 has as well. And it's just a three-letter word, S-I-N, sin. And we ought to grow a hatred for sin just as much as we have for COVID. We want to stay away from COVID as much as possible. We want to stay away from the flu as much as possible because it's uncomfortable. But let me ask you something. Is burning in a devil's hell comfortable? It's not going to be. Guarantee it. Just think about living in that fashion, but it actually consuming you, but not consuming you. And you can't get out. No. There's not even somebody putting their finger in water and putting their finger on your tongue. Jesus made that clear. Oops, I made a mistake. Can I get a refund? No. And you're going to pay for it with your life. Spiritual and physical. Yeah. If, if I had to suffer every day of my life and make it to heaven it would be a much better trade than having every luxury of life and dying and go to hell. Yeah, it's not always the easiest thing to do. But I will say this, I'm not, I, I don't like to dwell on glass half empty kind of stuff, but you have to also understand there is the negative side of not living for God. If you don't want to live for God, if you want to um, throw away all of the things that God has given to us, he's promised us, let me tell you something, the promises that he's given to those that will follow through and, and, and will live according to his purpose and to his call... If we will take those things, the promises far and above outweigh any of the curses that we have to go through. Yeah. 
You should. Yeah. And that's why I, I, have, I have longed, it's been six years and I have not taught in depth on holiness except for the last year, six months. We've been delving into holiness. Because holiness is not always what people want to make it out to be. There's one crowd that want to make it out to be all about how you look on the outside. Another crowd wants to make it look all about, be all about. It's only the inside stuff. You don't have to worry about what's on the outside. Now, the thing is, if you have it looking right on the outside and you got a nasty, filthy attitude, well, my friend, you don't have holiness. You're just living a strict dress standard. You're living for yourself. And on the other hand, if all you're worried about is what's on the inside and you, and you are barely wearing any clothes half of the time, well, there's still something wrong there because there's what's called the pride of life and, and there's this whole thing of, it's a whole other subject for another time, but I would, I would likely say that those people that don't want to even change the way that they look on the outside and say it's all on the inside, holiness is just an inward work, it's in my heart. Let me tell you something. From the abundance, Jesus said this, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What's the principle that he just established there? What's on the inside is going to come on the outside. It's going to be manifest out there. So if this is what you really do believe and this is what's really on the inside, then what's on the inside is really going to come on the outside. That makes sense today. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's one portion of it. But not only should your words be watched, <laughs> but your thoughts need to be brought into subjection. A carnal mind is enmity against God. Literally means it is the enemy of God. And I don't want to be the enemy of God. But the apostle James, he said it this way. He said, look, you show me your faith without your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. So this is where I, where I differ from the uh, works crowd saying you can't be saved by works. Well, no, you can't be saved, Veronica, by the, the things that Veronica does. But what the Holy Ghost does through you will be manifest as works in your life. Things that are accomplished in your life. You with me this morning? Did I make that too confusing? You're not working alone. It's by the works of the Holy Ghost that you are changed. You with me today? And so when it all comes down to it, it's not me living a certain standard of, 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 of dress. And it's not me living a certain standard of, of, of how I conduct myself or how I speak. But it is about... How God is working on the inside. And as he works on the inside, there's an old song that said, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. He begins the work on the inside. 
And before long, regardless of what you've ever said before, I'm never going to do such and such. I'm never changing this in my life. I'm never going to do such and such in my life. My friend, mark down every never that you said that you wouldn't do in the name of God. God will change you and you will do those things. I know whereof I speak because I've been there. I've had to change some things that I said I'd never change because I realized one day God wasn't happy with me leaving those things in my life. Let me tell you, again, I can set rules, I can set regulations, I'll set some expectations. Can I say it that way? I'll set expectations of what I'm looking for in, in the people of God. But if you only live up to the expectation and you don't allow it to become a part of your DNA, it's absolutely of no worth to you. Amen. Sometimes, I will do say this, I will say this, sometimes God tries our hearts to say, okay, are you going to obey? Because he did tell Saul, I'm going to say this and I'm going to close out. He told Saul, King Saul, he sent Samuel the prophet, he said, Saul, I want you to go destroy, utterly destroy the Amalekites. Because of what they did to the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt. Now what the Amalekites did to the children of Israel was they didn't attack the Israelites from the front. They waited until they went by and they attacked from the rear. And in those types of caravans, most of the time, the only people left at the rear were the elderly, those that couldn't move as quickly. That's all that was left. And so they would come through and they would plunder the elderly they would come through and destroy the homes of the widows in my mind can I just say it this way they were cowards and they wanted the easy way out and God hated that and God said alright so it's time for us to it's time for me to bring justice upon the Amalekites and so he did he told Saul, he said, go, destroy them all. I don't want anybody left. Not a woman, not a child, not a man. I don't even want their livestock left alive. Saul got back from the battle. He's waiting for, King, he's waiting for the, the prophet Samuel. And Samuel meets with him and he goes, something don't sound right here. He looks at Saul and he says, Saul, what's this? He, no, first off, he asked him a question. He said, and I'll just say this, most of the time when leadership comes and asks you a question, they already know the answer to it. <laughs> and so the prophet Samuel said, Saul, did you do what God said to do with the Amalekites? He goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I've, I've. And then Samuel says, well, then how come I hear the lowing of the cattle and the bleeding of the sheep right now? What, where did those come from? Oh, you know, the people said that it would be a good idea. 
if we brought some of this back and sacrificed unto the Lord and, and, and gave sacrifice to him. I've said all that to say this, Samuel's response to King Saul that day. Does anybody know what he said? He did say that later, but he said this first. He said, obedience, Saul, is better than sacrifice. He said, even though you think that you're sacrificing and doing a good thing, God looks at obedience as a better thing than your sacrificial giving. I, I know we don't have this problem here, so I'm going to say this. That's why some folks can come into the church, rich folks will come into the church, and they will give, and they will give, and they will give. Oh, look how much I've given. And they expect that the preacher should bow down to them and say, oh, you've given so much, you know, you don't have to do such and such. You don't have to do this. You're, a, you're an exception to the rule. Well, my response is this. God's looking for obedience. He's not looking for money. That's what God's looking for. My friend, you can't buy your way into heaven. You can obey your way into heaven, though. And that's what we have the word of God for. Can I say thank you to each of you that spend time in the word of God on a regular basis? Because of that, you can be saved. My question is, the things that you don't understand, are you still willing to apply to your life before you understand it? Are you willing to obey what you've read or even heard? Because the word of God is alive and well today. I leave you with those questions just to ponder over this next week. God, if there's something in the word of God that I've seen but I haven't been willing to apply to my life, just simply in obedience, because I know that's what you're asking me to do. God, this week, I, I want to apply these things to my life. Amen. I love all y'all. Amen. It's 11 o'clock. If you need to, let's refresh yourselves, and then we'll uh, come back in here and spend some time in prayer and seek the face of God. And let God have his way today. Amen. And I would say, while you're praying today, pray for Brother Blue. He's got some... He said he can't even walk today with his hip pain. Um, I think this week he's supposed to have hip surgery. Um, I may text him in a second to make sure. That way I can let everybody know so you can be praying for him this week. Um, and then also Cecilia, she's not been feeling well today. Um, obviously, I believe due to the pregnancy. So just pray for her. That God keep her hand on her. I mean, she's here today. Thank God for that. But. Uh, we want God to keep his hand on her. So while you're praying today, pray for the service, but pray for these needs as well. Amen. Let's, let's, let's pray together this morning.